This is a Triple J podcast. D, I have become obsessed with a book. It's all I'm hearing about, everyone. It's literally like I'm getting a play-by-play. The other day at our desk, Pip had to shut the book because it got too saucy and she was like, I have to read this on. No, literally, (laughs) it's so horny. It's called Fourth Wing. It's about dragons. It's a YA fantasy novel. And you know that's the only thing I read because I can't read at a higher level than a <laughs> high schooler. Like that's my book of choice and that's what I stick to and it's what I know. And you know what I realised? I'm obsessed with the trope enemies to lovers. So what's explain the characters then? What's happened? Uh, TLDR of the plot without giving it too much away. Okay. Um, girl gets forced into a crazy violent school where she has to learn to ride dragons. Yeah. Lots of factions, lots of different like groups and cliques. Uh, there's people from like a rebellion side of the kingdom. And then there's like the people who went with like the king. And so they are constantly fighting. And then she meets this guy who's like the son of the main rebellion dude who led the rebellion Ooh. and he hates her. And she's like, I hate him. But he's really fucking hot. So muscly. Where are the dragons coming in? I told you they have to ride the dragons because there's all this other. Oh, don't. I won't get into <laughs> okay, it. Okay, no, but I know exactly what you're talking about because one of my favorite books is Pride and Prejudice. Yes. That's like my. We're so opposite. Like, that's <laughs> so you, like a horny dragon book. And mine's like fucking Victorian era. Like, Jane Austen. But it's the same thing. It's like they hate each other, Elizabeth and Mr. Darcy. And then in the end, he surprises you against all odds. He's actually not this misunderstood, angry man. He has a heart of gold. Yes. He's and generous. This is what gets me every time. I know it's coming every time, but I love it all the same. And it got me thinking, can this happen in real life? Yes, and that's exactly what we're going to investigate in this episode. So obviously we are pros at this. <laughs> we know a lot about the enemies to lovers trope. We've we've read it, we've watched it, we've seen it in lots of movies. Um, and maybe you're not as across it as us. Yeah, you'll get sick and tired of hearing Pip and I talk about our obsession. But uh, I think we need to hear from a pop culture expert. And to do that, we have Associate Professor Lauren Rosewarn, who is a pop culture social media commentator. And this is how she defines the trope. Where the impediment for two people finding each other is a clash of personalities. Now that could be extreme. They could be the Romeo Juliet opposite, you know, opposing families. It could be business rivals, whatever it might be. There is something that these two people feel in terms of an antagonism towards each other that is the barrier to them being together. So she mentioned Romeo and Juliet there. Yeah. Huge. Super common trope of the enemies to lovers, but it can exist everywhere. Like even modern stuff, like the proposal, right? They're like rivals in their business and yes. then they end up falling for each other. One of my favorite movies, 10 Things I Hate About You. Classic. He's such a, such a bad boy. He's such a bad boy. You hate him, but then I he's know. so misunderstood. Yeah, exactly. Um, I would even say Avatar, Jake Sully, yeah. everyone hates him at first and then he gets with his girly. Um, uh, what else? Twilight? Twilight. Edward and Bella hated each other. He's like, you smell, I'm not coming near you. Yeah, he's like, get away from me. And then, you know, the lion fell for the lamb. Yeah, we're like so obsessed with it. But like, why do we just keep coming back to watching and reading this stuff over and over again? 
you know, the idea of chipping away at their gruff exterior or whatever it might be to get to the true essence of them and find in fact we're actually so in not only similar but attracted to each other for who we really are as opposed to the, you know, defences we've built up because life has hardened us. That's exactly it. It is about the person underneath. Love conquers all. You think I can get underneath there and learn who I they can are. Fix them. I can fix them. It is such a thing. I feel like at the core of everything, we all just want to be loved for who we truly are deep down. Exactly. Also, not to mention, um, these aren't just playing out in like movies and books. Like my brain is literally like, let's make up some inner fantasy. Like I want to be living this role out. Yeah. Well, <laughs> sex coach Georgia Grace told us about this. This is such a huge thing for a lot of her clients. Even in speaking with people about their most common fantasies that they have where they let their minds go, like when they're masturbating or in the porn that they're watching, they may think like this is someone who I really don't like and if I walk past them on the street, I would never talk to them. Or like even like political figures that you, you know, disagree with but thinking about making them go down on you and getting off on that, like, it is, it, it's certainly a thing. I think it can be a reclamation of power. It can be, you know, transcending the, the current experiences that you have. It, you know, so much of our fantasies and our eroticism can be tied into, you know, the, these dynamics of the, the forbidden or you know, this element of disgust and where pleasure comes into it as well. Something that you and I recently discovered that we both do, Pip, is before we go to sleep at night, sometimes to help us get to sleep, we come up with like a little role-playing fantasy in our head of like the enemies to lovers thing. Yeah. It's like, we'll be like, you know, I saw him from across the room and like, <laughs> you know, you'll make up a whole storyline of like we hated each other and like, or our families didn't want us to be together. But yeah. then like you just create this whole story and then you're like going to sleep like. It feels so good and it works a trick every time. Like I've got my regular little characters in my enemies to lovers tropes. Oh, I mix mine up. Oh, no, I've got like the people who I have like, you know, on the roster. Like I've got my six foot four, like tall, dark, handsome guy. Like, do you know what wow. I mean? Like, it's Are there dragons? Things. Um, well, huh? No, there's no dragons. There's definitely magic. Okay. I'm a fantasy girly. I'm not I sci-fi. love that. <laughs> <laughs> Look, as much as we want to talk about our like bedtime stories to help us sleep, we need to bring this into reality. And that's what we wanted to do with this episode because we wanted to find out if anyone in real life could actually experience an enemies to lovers trope. Like it seems impossible, but we put our journo hats on and we investigated and we found some things. We did. We put it up on our Instagram and we're like, look, we're obsessed with these movies, these books, these TV shows. But if any of you actually gone from being an, an arch nemesis mm. to lovers. And we also like, we weren't like, you don't have to be enemies. It's just like maybe someone that you really hate, you don't get along with. At and, the start. Yeah. And you know what actually jumped out at us the most was really that sex is like the gateway drug into turning somebody from a hater to somebody that you actually want to jump their bones. Like you are fraternizing with the enemy. It's hate, it's hate fucking. Yeah. And I think this is so common. Um, Joe actually sent us a voice memo about this. He didn't get along with a girl at work. Uh, 
I think the story is like the tale as old as time. They had a few drinks and at the work shindig. Yeah, you mm. can guess the rest. We're friendly, but we never really kind of got on just the two of us. Like it'd always be kind of snarky comments and we never really saw eye to eye. Then one night we started sleeping together and it was like mental. It was like mental sex. There was just so much chemistry. Us just like ravaging each other. And this isn't just like on its own. Like we had so many DMs of people being like, yep, straight to sex. And it was really hot. And it was pivotal for them, like iconic. <laughs> like, yeah, the sex is insane. Yeah, oh, it was fantastic. Best I've ever had. Not, not <laughs> yeah. So hate fucking is clearly such a huge thing, but what, so what is it about it? Like let's dig deeper with this. Is mm. it, for me, I guess it's because it's my personal experience. I just go, well, it's a fuckboy thing, right? Like we're drawn mm. to this idea, which is reflected in culture and movies that people who are bad for us, the bad boy or people who piss us off, uh, are people we should go for. Yes. Yes. Remember when we are in primary school, if someone is teasing you, you go home and you're like, oh, so-and-so is bullying me. And it's like mum and dad go, it's because they like you. They've got a, no, babe, they've got a crush they've on you. They've got a crush on you. They're just being mean because they love you. And it's like, that is so bad that we get taught that so early. But it seems to be reflected in the way that we, I guess, see people. And, and I wonder as well, Maybe when it's casual sex, it's easier to do that with someone you don't like because mm. you feel like this is safe. I'm just talking from example. Like I didn't want a relationship, so I would sleep with people I knew that I wouldn't want to date. And sometimes it was easier if I didn't even like them at all. Yeah. To throw another example at you, have you ever been with someone who's ticking all the boxes on paper? Yeah, you're great. You're loving it. Like whatever. But then at night... You're fantasizing about your toxic ex, wreathing around in the sheets, being like, oh, fuck, that was hot. Like, I feel like that's kind of common for people. Babe, you spoke about that way too passionately. I think you're talking from the I heart. need a glass of water. <gasps> Whoa. <laughs> no, but we actually will get into that soon because that's definitely something I've experienced. All right, but, let's um, get an expert. <laughs> we need an expert back in. Um, we asked Georgia Grace um, to weigh in on this. She's a sex coach and she's obviously a bestie of the show. You hear her all the time on The Hookup. Um, and, yeah, we wanted her to figure out, like, is this like a fuckboy, fuckgirl situation? There we might look at, like, the difference between chemistry and compatibility. So chemistry being that sense that I'm, like, attracted to you, I want to rip your clothes off, we have really great sex, like, the, the passion is there and compatibility being I value the same things or we're we're wanting the same things in the future and we work really well together as a team and all these things are lining up to make for a healthy relationship in an ideal world you could have a little bit of column a column b some chemistry and some compatibility but sometimes the the chemistry can just feel so good and that can sometimes you know blind us to maybe a, a relational dynamic that feels more fulfilling, safe or grounding. Okay. So like I was saying before, yes, this has happened to me, the confusion of chemistry and compatibility. I was dating somebody who I was in a relationship with for far too long. They treated me like shit, but I was blinded by what I thought was love. But on reflection, I was actually like, no, we just had really good sexual chemistry. 
and I got those feelings confused. And by the end of the relationship, once we'd broken up, I was like, this guy doesn't even fucking like me as a person. Um, but yeah, no, that's literally my experience with this. And, you know, this is such a common experience. And Georgia says that she sees this a lot with her clients. You know, chemistry and like the way our bodies respond to certain people can feel so overwhelming. Like when we've got that much arousal building in our bodies and when it just feels so good, we sometimes can conflate that as being, you know, love or, you know, attraction or even wanting to date them. But actually maybe it just might be the fact that sex feels good and you're really turned on by each other. Ooh, actually, this just reminds me, an interview I did maybe three years ago with anthropologist, like well-renowned anthropologist Helen Fisher. We're going to have to chase this up because I'm 100% sure it was her. But she said, be careful who you have casual sex with. Any kind of sexual stimulation of the genitals um, triggers the dopamine system in the brain and can push you over that threshold into falling in love with that person. And in fact, with orgasm, there's a real flood of oxytocin and vasopressin, other chemicals in the brain associated with the feeling of deep attachment. So casual sex is really never casual. It stuck in my brain because I loved a casual sex moment. Yeah. Single for years. So she was like, be careful who you have casual sex with because you might fall for them and you might not actually like who they are. Right. Yeah. Because of the chemistry in the brain. Yeah. If you're fucking with somebody who has like those different values to you, you just don't get along. Yeah. That does make sense. Um, Going back to what Georgia said about it being confused, this emotion of love and hate, you know, I wanted to talk to a relationship therapist about this topic as well. So I called up uh, Lauren Bradley and I kind of brought this idea to her about like how love and hate can exist really close together. Some people reckon that they like run in this little parallel line to each other and that's why you can switch over to them very easily because they're very, very strong. And I asked her about this and she said, yeah, these wires actually can get crossed. Yeah, I think in your mind you can make a connection between a strong emotion and a reaction to a person. And maybe the lines between love and hate are blurred because the passion that you feel gets confused in yourself as a mixed signal is this passion because I'm feeling passionate or passion because it's rage. So being able to decipher your emotions a little bit more closely will help. And often we're really disconnected from what our feelings are. So we can blur those lines really easily. Obviously, a lot of the popular culture stuff we were talking about is like, you know, enemies to lovers. What happens is this huge conflict, like what's it called in the middle of a story? Um, uh, the arc. Rising rising action, conflict, climax, character arc, whatever. The middle of the story. <laughs> it's like... What we were saying before, you get to know the person for who they are finally. A big gesture like Mr. Darcy in Pride and Prejudice pays for her, her sister's like dowry or whatever the fuck he pays for. <laughs> but that's not really common in real life. Like I don't think if you've gone from hating someone to being in a relationship with someone, it's not because you've like despite all odds got to really know each other. It's because you've fucked someone you don't get along with. Yeah, and the sex was really good. the sex was really good and then you've confused yourself and you've gone, wow, I think I'm in love. Exactly. Um, But, you know, we actually had a few people who had like a kind of relationship situation happen. Like Rach got in touch. She said, I'm still in a situation like this with a guy I've known since childhood. Used to hate him and now the will they 
they, won't they, is so intense. Even my mum is invested in the tea. Oh, babe, keep us updated. I know. Cara here said we argued about everything and anything when we met and ended up in an intense on and off again relationship. Really intense feelings of love and heartbreak on loop, but we just couldn't make it work. Mm. So it's happening. And Justin sent us a DM. Um, he told us about this like, crazy relationship he had. He met a girl in year 10, hated each other, but then a few years later they dated but they were like butting heads all the time still. Me and this one girl just could not get along. Like I'd say, I'd say hello. I'd walk to the other side of the group. I wouldn't say another word to her every day. Flash forward four years later and I just happened to run into her. Decided to go and make a date out of it. And a year, about a year we lasted. And it was super, super passionate and like, very tumultuous, toxic relationship, but it was very high and very low and very, very in points. It was a crazy relationship. Okay, so what is the psychology behind this, apart from the iconic sex? You know, <laughs> why do people get into these relationship dynamics? Yeah, he is Lauren Bradley, relationship therapist again. I think that people have attraction to certain feelings in relationships, and some people are actually really attracted by disgust things that they find really disgusting or people that tell them off, for example. So they actually feel really good in those kinds of paradigms. So I think maybe it's not about necessarily changing that into love, but accepting that that's how you feel good. And that's the kind of arrangement that keeps you connected and keeps you interested. Yeah, it's funny that Lauren actually brought the word disgust into this again. Uh, like we heard Georgia before, um, talking about fantasies and how you might be sometimes attracted to things that really give you an ick. But why, like, why is that? Like, mm. you know, why do we keep going for these people who make us feel icky or like it's Or really... you hate yourself after you get so mad at yourself. I felt like that a lot with like mm. guys I was having sex with. So I'd be like, values wise, I actually, you're making me feel sick because I don't get along with you at all. Yeah, because like, logically you're like, this just shouldn't work. But then you keep going for this dysfunctional relationship. Um, sorry to do this again, but we're bringing in attachment styles. <laughs> we love attachment theory. When we grow up, we develop a template for what to expect in future relationships. And we sometimes call that attachment in psychology and therapy. And we can actually have attachments which are really uncomfortable. And those uncomfortable experiences become what's familiar to us. So we actively seek out these uncomfortable arrangements based on what we've learned in our past. Yeah, you learn what's familiar to you and you try and repeat what's familiar because at the end of the day, generally, what you're familiar with is usually the safest option or the most knowledgeable option that you're used to for yourself but it's not always the best it's not always the most comfortable choice that you can make for yourself maybe you like listening are in a long-term relationship sometimes people in long-term relos get a bit bored of their sex life like maybe things are just like been really nice for a while and like to bring back that like passion and like fire you might just have like a bit of a fight or a bit of an argument and get things heated up and then you'll have like this passionate sex like I fucking hate you <laughs> do you know what I mean yeah, yeah yeah we asked Georgia Grace about it and she said that she's seen her clients actually use hate fucking almost like as a tool Interestingly, what I hear from a lot of my clients in sort of longer term relationships, 
they will often note that a core memorable sexual experience for them will be when they've had a moment of conflict with their partner and then they, in sort of reckless abandon, they have had makeup sex and they, you know, they mentioned that it's really great for a few reasons in that in that moment they just didn't care like they didn't see them as this intimate person they were kind of furious and it was you know intense and passionate but some people also say that it was like it's a release so they've got all this like anger and frustration in their body and you know what greater release than like an orgasm or like connecting your bodies but then also some people use it as a like conflict resolution. Like they felt really distant from their partner. They felt like, I don't understand you. You don't understand me. We're two separate people. But actually when they come together and they have sex, they're like, oh, we're, we're connected. We do get each other. And, and that feels like we're resolving that conflict. See, blowing off a little bit of steam or using it to like resolve conflict, if you can do it in like a healthy way, which sounds like most of these people might be doing it, that seems okay. Yeah, you're allowed to be angry once in a while and you're, yeah. you know, you're like there's something wrong with a bit of fighting. There's always going to be conflict in a relationship. Yeah, totally. But the thing is, is at what point, say it's not just the sex, there's a lot of t- tension fighting. Like at what point does it become dangerous that you're kind of in this dynamic of like hating each other and being lovers? I think if it's making you uncomfortable or if it's like banter and you're getting used to it and you're comfortable, you know, we can have what's called effect tolerance, which is where we get used to feeling nasty and having this kind of um, sarcasm and nasty behavior. We just get really used to it in a relationship. So we're less sensitive to it. So we need to be mindful as to whether it's something we're choosing, we're comfortable with and whether it's play or whether it's an ingrained behavior that we've become familiar with and we're not consciously choosing to sit in that space. That's when it's a problem when it's slowly eroding us without our knowledge and awareness, without our choice. So if you get used to that kind of relationship dynamic where it's constant bickering, you're at each other's throats, maybe you throw in a nice little hate fuck every now and then, it's still potentially perpetuating that cycle like what we were talking about with attachment styles. Well, it's like even if you break up, you've kind of set what you know Mm. and you might continue to seek that in other people, whether it's casual or eventually into a relationship. Absolutely. So that hate relationship can create a template for what you expect in your future relationships. And then, hey, you meet, you know, thing or nice, they come along and they're really beautiful and lovely and kind to you, but that feels so uncomfortable. Who is this person? Why are they treating me so well? So we can actually really miss the opportunities for healthy connection in the future if we create a template of hate. And that's what we're familiar with. I loved that this episode we just kind of explored an idea. Yeah. Got real journalistic. You know, it. yeah, it was just based off a little book that I read and, you know, we went there. We found some real life uh, enemies to lovers. Yeah, and, and I went, oh, there's something here. What, Like generally, what is going on? Why are we so obsessed with this? And you know what? They weren't all like failures in a way. Not that a relationship is a failure, but there were a few success stories from people who are still with their enemy. True. Um, True. So I would say, is there a moral to this episode? Maybe tread with caution? Yes. And My takeaway is kind of what I said about Helen Fisher. It's like, Mm. be careful who you're casually fucking because you might fall in love with them. Yeah. And if you are that tall, dark, handsome man (laughs) over 6'4", who wants to be my enemy, I'll see you tonight before I go to sleep. (laughs) Good night. (laughs) 